This is Greater Together, a podcast designed to give listeners an inside look at how small business owners grow and evolve over time to become greater. I'm Rachel Kershaw. I'm here today talking to Greg Lehman from Watershed Distillery. Thank you for having me in. Awesome. It's awesome to have you. So you describe Watershed Distillery as we make booze. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> Uh, short and sweet. That's what we do. Yes, we're we're obviously a, it's a little more than that, but uh, we definitely have fun with it. Yeah, and I think today we're going to talk more about specifically Watershed's restaurant. Okay. So in your head, when you think of Watershed, do you think of it as two separate product lines, two separate companies, or is it just sort of all one? I think of it as a distillery that has a brand experience built into it, where you can come to the restaurant and you can have a cocktail with our stuff in it. You can see some of the creativity in the cocktail menu and the food menu. You can have a great meal. You can look through, you can see the production. You go through the bottle shop on the way in and out. And it's just this great way to uh, kind of find a hidden gym and experience the Watershed brand. You know, ultimately it's a way to show people what we're all about. So they might be curious and try some of our spirits and who knows, next time they in the liquor store there, they're picking up a bottle of Four Peel Gin and having a gin and tonic. Nice. And you guys have some sort of really interesting things, like, I'm going to say it wrong, but the Nocachino, is that how no you chino. say it? Nocino. Yeah, Nocino. No yeah, yeah. So that, there's a kind of a really cool story with that. Well, I think it's cool, of course, but it's my company. <laughs> so, uh, But there was a local guy, um, Charlie Twill, comes into our distillery. This is pretty soon after Dave and I started it, back in like 2011 or 12, and he dropped off a couple bottles of stuff he makes at home, and... One was a fennel cello, which was really, really great, and another was a nocino. And he's like, yeah, try this stuff. Uh, I'd love for someone to make it. He's like, I'm not looking for anything special. I he just, wasn't going to make it 100 no, bottles at no. a time. <laughs> he's like, I, did, I think it'd be cool if someone made it. And, you know, it tasted great, but we were running 1,000 miles an hour and didn't have time. And it was one June. It might have been 2014. He calls us one evening, and he's like, hey, come to my house, and let's make nocino. And uh, just sort of for fun. He's like, it's the time of year to do it. You have to do it. There's like a two week window when you have to do it. You can't do it any other time because the walnuts have to be soft, but they have to be large enough, but that shell can't be formed. You got to be able to chop it. So we're, and Charlie's like, now's the perfect time to make it. So we ended up going over there. It would never work these days. I feel like we're so busy with everything. (laughs) But then we're like, yeah, we're just waiting for bourbon to age. So let's go over there and let's check it out. So we go to his house. It turns out he lives right around the corner from me. We're practically neighbors. And you didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, I, knew we, I knew he was kind of in Arlington, but I didn't know how close. So we go over to his house. We pick walnuts on his tree. We're in his kitchen. We chop up the walnuts. We add the ingredients. We let it start to, to sit, and it has to sit for six months before it's, before it's ready. But we go down to his cellar, and we pull out some Nocino from years past. And next thing you know, we're sitting on his patio I mean, it's like a cool June evening. We're pouring Nocino over Jenny's ice cream, eating it. And and Dave and I were looking at each other like, all right, we're making this. Like, this is amazing. Uh, And it was kind of that moment. Well, and Jenny's is local. Like, did you immediately go business head there? Yeah, well, yeah. but uh, Or just this is awesome. At that point, we were just like, this is delicious. How do we create it? Um, And so then we, we eventually... I think the year after that, we, we scaled it up a little bit and tried it internally and, and found a process. And then, you know, started making Nogino. Did I see recently on, like, Facebook or something, you guys looking for walnuts? Was that? Yes. Was that this year, walnuts, you know, 
there's boom years and there's bust years. And 2019 in Ohio was a bust year for sure. Yeah, the weather's been a little strange. Yeah, I think the nut, the Ohio nut growers told us that they think it was we had so much rain it was hard for the trees to pollinate. Mm. So makes sense. That's the info I'm going with. I don't know if it's true, but that's what I, they know more about nuts than I do. So <laughs> that's fair. I didn't even know there was a Ohio. Nut, Nut Growers, Growers Association. Association. Okay. I didn't either until we started Nochino. But Joe and Joe are great. Uh, they've, they've helped us out a ton. So um, format's real simple, straightforward, three questions. and Sure. Uh, and then we just sort of dig into those. When you first started out, what scared you? But today doesn't. Uh, well, I was scared of a lot of stuff starting out. Uh, let me be clear about that. I think that's fair. Uh, the most scary when, so I started with a business partner, um, and when Dave and I were like setting up the company and talking, we loved the brewing industry. We loved the, uh, the culture of the restaurant industry. Had either of you done? No, we hadn't done any, we hadn't done either of those things and we hadn't distilled anything. But we thought both of those were overplayed in the restaurant industry. We were absolutely terrified of because so many restaurants failed and we knew it was so competitive. And we came up with this idea to distill and we started pushing that idea and that's what got all the momentum. But I remember very clearly going, look, we are a distillery, we are not a brewery and we will never be a restaurant because that's way too scary. Uh, (laughs) Fast forward, uh, you're laughing because you know the end here. Fast forward to uh, 2016, halfway through the year, we got a law so passed. like five years after the distillery kicks yeah, off? six, let's be, okay. yeah, but close, yeah. Uh, um, we had completely changed our mind. We got a, We actually went to the trouble of passing a law to let us open a restaurant, and we uh, opened in January of 2017. So seven years in, we went and opened a restaurant. I feel like we could do a whole other podcast about, like, how did you pass a law? Oh, man. Yeah, it's, uh, we had a lot of help. Uh, I say we, like I marched down to the uh, state. I did go down to the state house a lot, but it was a whole bunch of help with other distillers and um, the executive director of the Distillers Guild. And, and we had a, a whole, and, and some great lawmakers that were helping us and on our side and cheering for us all the way through. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I love talking about legal topics, so that seriously might happen someday. Um so, the stats on restaurants. What numbers did you have in your head? Like uh, We always talked about 90% fail. I don't know, within the first three years. I don't know if that's exactly true or not. Um, my stats in my head have changed a lot because when I see restaurants and restaurants that are successful and restaurants that fail, I think there's a whole... There's a there's a lot of ways to stack the deck in your favor, which probably with any business there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that we changed our mind, we started feeling more and more comfortable with the deck the deck being stacked really well in our favor. So think about it: we're a distillery. Mm-hmm. We spent the last five to six years calling on restaurants all over Ohio, the coolest restaurants in Chicago, the coolest restaurants in Atlanta. Uh, the coolest restaurants in Cleveland, Cincinnati, you name it. We saw what we liked. We saw that what worked in the marketplace. Um, and we had this huge network of chefs and managers and servers. And so um, we got to the point where we thought, we don't know how to run a restaurant, but we know all the people that do know how. Absolutely. And so we said, look, I think we can do this if we get the right people to come in and help us set this up. So did you make a business plan and run it by that network or? 
We made a business plan and ran it by our advisory board and our owners. And our advisory board, we made a business plan and we showed it to them and they said, no, that's a stupid idea, don't do that. They gave us some reasons why. And we listened to those, um, but we didn't believe that they were correct. And we um, made an argument and went back in front of them and, and they changed their mind and said, you know what, I get what you're saying now, I think that makes sense. So the argument, was it like data-driven or from the gut and the heart? Or? No, it was data-driven. So they were talking about um, we're in no man's land, like we're on a hidden alley. Yeah, um, kind of hard to find. And we, uh, you know, we're in a warehouse on a hidden alley. And so the, the argument was we don't have enough foot traffic going by and uh, nobody's going to find us and nobody wants to come back here to this warehouse and, and eat. And uh, we came back and we put some uh, data together with how many people were already coming through on tours per week. And we made a pretty good argument with the use of smartphones these days where if we're in the press enough, yeah. all people have to do is put it in their phone. And even though we're not on a main street, we are close to everything. Well, and you're super close to one of my old school favorite bars, the Treehouse. Like yeah, it's hard yeah. to find, hard yep, to leave. Right, like it's right. that area of town. Right. And so people, if they're in Grandview, if they're in Arlington, if they're downtown, frankly, you put it in and you realize like, oh, it was within close. 10, 12 minutes. So that was a big thing. And then uh, we put some renditions together of what it's going to look like in the place. And, and we it have is a great, beautiful. We have a great designer that, that really made it look cool. And so um, with, with that data, and especially the, the visitors that we already had per year, and how little we were advertising to get those visitors in, it kind of made sense. Like, hey, I think this this could work. So you said tours. Was it some sort of organized tours coming through there before yeah. it was a restaurant? Yeah, so we would offer tours of our distillery. And so people would pay, and they would come in, and they would see, you know, spend about an hour going around the distillery, seeing all the pieces and parts, and then we'd do a tasting at the end, and then they could buy bottles. So that was just all it you was, guys? It was just, yeah. Dave, I mean, because I know were, we've got some other awesome tours in town, like yeah. the Alt Eats and stuff, take people around to interesting places. Right, right, right. It should no, be another way to get traffic to an unknown area, right? Right, and we did some stuff like their um, uh, Columbus Brew Adventures, where they have a tour stop on one of their tours, comes to Watershed, and so we were. I mean, Dave and I would hustle for any tour. If someone wanted to come <laughs> tour, we would drop everything, go over to the distillery and show them the place. And so that got a lot of people in and they kind of, people knew where we were. Oh, the other argument that helped us convince our advisory board was we're, we're not starting from zero. Our brand is in, at the time, we were probably in 600 restaurants throughout Columbus area. And that's amazing. And so, five years in. and then we had all these Facebook fans. We had an email list of over 10,000 people. And so our argument was, like, people know about Watershed. The press is going to write about it. We can talk to people through our email. We can talk to them on Facebook, on Instagram. And it's it's going to be familiar. People are going to want to come check right, it out. Right, you already had a community. Right. You already had fans. Right. It's not like we were starting from day one saying, Greg's restaurant is opening and nobody knows anything about <laughs> it. So um, all that together put together a pretty sound argument. And and for us, behind the, behind the scenes, the most important part was if we can go get the right management crew. That, that was the catalyst for us. Sure. If we got that right management crew and we could have the, give them the autonomy to really run it, um, then, then we'd be successful. So that sort of leads into um, what did you spend a lot of time on at the beginning and, and now you just don't? I always say when we started, I was the guy that swept the floor, that sold the product, that turned on the still. I mean, that, that sounds like an entrepreneur uh, to me. Right, 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 right. That bottled the product, that called my 
uh, mom and dad and my friends to come bottle products and was like, we'll give you booze. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, but when I think about it, like I spent, I used to spend a ton of time in sales. And that, that hustle that you were yeah, talking about. Yeah, we would be out there talking to customers, telling them about the brand, trying to create advocates for us. Mm-hmm. So a bar manager, a bartender, a server, um, sitting down with them and telling the story so that they could retell it to So that when somebody goes to a bar somewhere else and goes, I want to try something different. Right, they right. put something from Watershed in it. Right, right, right. If someone comes in and says, do you have any Texas vodka? They'll be like, wait, we have Ohio vodka. It's great. Try this stuff from Watershed. Um, so anyway, yeah, that, that was, I spent a ton of time doing that. And I, I really don't, I don't get to do that anymore. Did you do sales in a past life, like before Watershed? Or I did. I did? did. I worked for Pfizer and Shearing Plow and some, uh, another small company. Basically, I sold drugs to big farmers. I didn't think about farmers buying drugs. That's really interesting. Yeah. Vets makes sense. But yeah, um, well, vets and farmers, they kind of, in the pig world, they're all pretty uh, sophisticated customers. And so they all kind of work together. That's very different than bottling booze. It is so different. So I mean, the- it is, but it isn't. You think about like selling drugs you know i give a couple samples and i come back and ask for the order yeah i mean like, i guess that's the booze is. world right it's the same, uh, same well, thing. i've technically heard it's a solution <laughs> right but, um, right right anyway but yeah so the sales part was actually the part that you had experience in not right, the right. core business not, right not the product yeah that is true but um i definitely had an advantage in small business so i grew up uh and was very entrepreneurial uh, I think I started Lehman Lawn Care when I was in fifth or sixth grade. Nice. And my parents let me use the mower, and he actually kept it filled with gas as long as I hustled it down the road and I could make as much money as I wanted. And we, my brothers and I made a lot of money mowing lawns, delivered newspapers all the way through high school, started in middle school. And then uh, my dad ran a small business. And so I got to, I feel like I worked in every department in his business growing up. From the shipping department to driving trucks to touching up frames. It was picture frames to stuffing envelopes, pretty much everything. Nice. Um, And then my first real job after college um, was working for a small manufacturing company in North Carolina. I reported directly to the boss and he really let me see a lot more than most would see. Like he opened up the books to me. He let me work closely. I was in sales for him, but he let me work really closely with all departments from the assembly team to the supply team to everybody. And so that was a huge um, advantage for me when I started my own business because I really got to see everything. Yeah, I would sit small businesses is great like that. Yeah, I would sit on in with him on discussions with customers, with banks, with um, uh, suppliers, and so it, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, that sounds like a, a joke I make about my past is because one of the companies I worked for was so small, they let me do all kinds of things that no business in their right mind should have let right, me do. Right, right, and right. it's great. It's a great way to get experience. My first job with him was he needed somebody um, that understood uh, business and could uh, navigate traveling around the world. And so for uh, significantly less than Mm $30,000, I don't share the exact amount, I took a job covering all territories for him outside the U.S. I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be on the road and I was on the road two weeks out of every month. So I was in, in the country for two weeks, out of the country for two weeks. 
I was um, basically just out there selling and uh, trying to make his business go. I knew nothing about the pig industry. And he said, I'll teach you the pig industry. You know business. You know how to travel. I had lived in Europe for a couple of years. And I mean, so I'm not saying like, it sounds awesome now, but as a job in your 20s, I think I that mean, it was, was my dream. It was great. It was absolutely great. Um, and I like jumped in with both feet and traveled all over the world, met fascinating people, and learned a ton. And when I took the job, it was all I like. I absolutely didn't care about the money. I just wanted to learn. Yeah. And it, I definitely got to do that. Yeah, and I think that's probably the best thing somebody can do when they don't know what they want to be when they grow right. up. And when they're still young enough that they're not tied down by their right, 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 possessions right. or lifestyle right. or whatever. And my yeah. wife was a saint because we only had one car and we lived two hours and 15 minutes away from the airport. Oh, God. And she would drive me and pick me up every time. Yeah, and well, your this... job sounds great. Hers sounds terrible. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we worked in the same building, different companies in the same building in a, in a town of, I think, 900 people in North Carolina. So it was kind of middle of nowhere. Wow. But it was a fascinating experience. We had a great time with it. Awesome. I say we. I think she had a good time, too. I mean, she must have been having some sort of fun. I don't no, know if we I would good, have We had good friends down there. and um, Yeah. So yeah anyway. Driving two hours to the airport part is the only part I mean sounds like no fun yeah, at all. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you guys had really great playlists in your car or something back then. She did have good playlists. I give her that. Even though sales is your background, at right. some point, this is not what you spend your time on anymore. No, it isn't. I, I don't get to go out and sell anymore. And for two reasons, actually. Uh, the I'll say the main reason is uh, the bigger you get, the more specialized you can hire people. Mm-hmm. And we have a great sales team right now. They're really, really good. In fact, the last uh, sales trip that they all had together, they said, uh, I actually got a note from one of them that says, see, we don't need you anymore. Like, huh. We're doing great without you. No offense. But, How comforting <laughs> yeah. was that and to I was hear? Like, I was like, it actually is great to hear. <laughs> I, I think they're all, they're really special at what they do, and they, they, they all seem to really enjoy their jobs, and they do a great job. And they know way more about bartending, way, no, way more about spirits, and they're really able to connect and build relationships. So that's the main reason. The second reason is there's so much stuff to do and you get so busy. If you don't, in my experience, if I don't pull myself away and look at big picture stuff and really make sure that the key departments and leaders on the team don't have everything they need to keep their teams running, then we, it really uh, has a negative impact on the whole company. That makes a bunch of sense. But rewind. Yeah. That first salesperson. <laughs> How did you find someone that you were willing to hand off a thing you had experience doing? Uh, like you're, you're, yeah, you let so, someone else sell your baby. Yeah, no, no, it's, it was hard. Um, and the the lady that we let do that, she um, was working in Cleveland. We knew her from when she was working in Columbus in the restaurant she had been working at. We had done some events there, and and we thought highly of her and uh, and what she had done. And she is a great communicator, but she contacted us and said, uh, I think, and she contacted Dave and I and said, I think you guys need a sales rep in Cleveland. So you guys weren't even hiring. No, we weren't even hiring, and and we were kind of like, thanks for letting us know, but we know our business, kind of. You know, I think it was like, it was kind of like, that's nice. Um, But but we definitely thought about it, and she... um, was pretty serious about it, so then we ended up like actually sitting down and, and well, talking. Well, to be fair, she didn't ask to sell your baby here. She no. made a really smart play. She yeah, said, yeah, yeah. She said in Cleveland, in Cleveland. Yeah. That's totally right. It was, it was a smart play. 
And so then we ended up having, sitting down and having a meeting and discussing it with her, and she made a really good case for it. And I think we left that meeting going, we should hire her. I, I think we should hire her. I think it makes sense. There's no way we can pay her. Like, we can't, we just can't do it. We talked it over, and it took us two to three months. Um, and I'll be honest, my business partner at the time never liked to spend money. And I was more like, I think we can do this. I was the optimist, like, let's do it. So I, it was us balancing back and forth, me pushing, him pulling against it's a nice it. nice balance to have in partners. It, it totally is. And we finally decided, all right, let's try it. Like you said, it's Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, and let's see. Um, well, we hired her. She did a great job. Um, we couldn't have gotten luckier with the first person that we hired. She's uh, done phenomenal for us. She's actually our sales director now, nice. and she ha- she leads the whole team. We have seven sales reps that report to her, so she's built a, a really nice team. She wasn't that, I mean, when we saw how successful she was in Cleveland, we went out and hired a Columbus rep and hired a Cincy rep, uh, and then they ran reporting to us for a bit, and then eventually uh, she took over and... So she did so well. You guys started hiring. Yes, did yes. Did you bring her in on the hiring process for number two and three? No, not right at first. Like, she was just up there running and, and doing a great job with that. And w- when we saw that, we were like, ooh. We but should, now you had a template. Yeah, we should totally like, do this. Like, what, what this were person, we thinking? Yes. You had yes. her to look at to be like, we want a person who's like this, yep. does these things. Yes. And sales is actually, I think, one of the easier things when you can't afford to hire anybody but you need help because it's so traditionally commission-based. Yeah. So does that, yeah. did that help? That helped. affordable? That helped. Plus it was, um, I think when you're hiring people for sales, it's really easy to measure good, mm-hmm. bad, not not great. The KPIs I mean, aren't hard for yeah. sales. I mean, you look at it and they're either paying for themselves or not paying for themselves. Right. And so you decide really quickly, like, is is this smart or not smart? Um so, yeah, that, that was a no-brainer. We, we, and the first three reps that we hired were all really, really great. Two of them are still on the team. So uh, Grant and Nikki, who we hired, the first two sales reps we hired, uh, they're both um, doing an amazing job. Yeah, do you think it's small businesses, when it works out, it works for a long time? Yeah, 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 totally. Like, because we have, I mean, they know everything that's going on with the business, and um, they're so tied into it, and... You know, well, we you see know each other all the time. And... We have the relationship. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, yeah, they're definitely a huge part of what we do. There's a thing about having an impact at work that's just much more possible when you know the owner right. and see right. them on a daily basis. In fact, happy hour today is with Grant and Nikki. Awesome. Like we're going to talk about what's next for the next three to five years. So That's awesome. Now that you are not spending your time selling stuff, what else do you do? I have meetings every day, <laughs> a whole <laughs> bunch of meetings. I always think of my role now as, and, and it was a really, I had to really make an active switch in my mind to get here. And it wasn't like I decided, you know, on Tuesday I was going to make an active switch. It was like in 2014, 15, and 16, I was trying to make an active switch. Um, but I look at my role now as making sure that my team, uh, my team of five managers, so I have production, I have sales, I have marketing, I have the front of the house kitchen staff and the back of the house kitchen staff. And and I look at that as my team. And, and then I do have a, a CFO who's um, who's there half a day a week or a day a week. And I make sure they have all the resources they need to be successful and that they're happy, engaged, motivated, and really uh, enjoying what they do. What they do. And so I feel, I feel like if I can 
paint the picture of where we're going and understand where where those five want to go and make sure that we're all five going in that same direction and that they have all the pieces and parts they need to do that then uh then we got a really good chance to make it to make it go absolutely and i'm still really involved in like in hiring key people and and strategy and things like that um you know, I think those are all part of, you know, making sure they have what they need. So immediately back then when you were first hiring sales, <clears throat> what was the first thing that you added in that you hadn't had time for before when you were hustling? Uh, you know, at that point, I think it was understanding or, or just a little bit of time to think. Rather than go, go, go. Yeah, you, you think about sales and a small company and... I want to say in Columbus, there's over a thousand restaurants. This is just Columbus. And at the time we were selling in Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincy. So do the math. It's at least 3,000. At least. And that's (laughs) not counting bars. Yeah. And it's not counting everything in between the Dayton's, the Mansfield's and all that. When I say that you could be working every second of your life, if you wanted, you could have been working every second. And so it was kind of like, we were just working like crazy and we were working too much. Uh, on top of that, we there were tours and we had production to run. And we had a guy helping us with production. And we had a lady answering phones and, and doing stuff that at, at the distillery. But um, there was just so much stuff. So when that got taken off, that was such a huge time uh, suck that I, my, my schedule, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it it's not like my schedule wasn't still completely full sure because there's a thousand things to do selling went away right but when selling went away I really was able to think a little more critically even if it was just for 15 to 30 minutes a day thinking about like what makes sense for me to work on and that was the first time that I took such a big thing off my plate that it was really clear like oh what else should I take off my plate? Probably the first time you had and, time to think about what yeah, do I do next. Yeah, and if I took that off my plate, what can I do instead? Yeah. And so then when you start to have those thoughts, it doesn't come right away and nothing's clear at that point, but you start to tinker around with it and you think, all right, what about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. And then as you start to pull that stuff off, you're like, oh, this is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And I could go down the list of a hundred different things, I feel like, that have been pulled off along the way. So, I mean, just to put it in perspective... How many hours a week do you think you were selling before you started hiring salespeople? Uh, I think it was probably about half my time. And you were uh, probably working 80 hours, so it was probably 40 Yeah, hours it, was a long time. it was a long time. It was a long time. Because we were, <laughs> I mean, we were in on the weekends, and if I wasn't out selling to restaurants or, or liquor agencies, you know, I was giving a tour to people and trying to sell bottles at the end of the tour, which is all kind of part of it. Sure. Or doing events. Um, I feel like we did it. A bunch of events around town. Right. So it's this paradox, right? Like you basically gave up 40 hours a week right, right, of right, work. Right. And you can do all the things, but it's immediately full again. Like yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, that no, it was immediately full. Immediately working yeah. 80 hours again. Yes. And, and it, it's interesting, like, my wife can probably tell you better, like, for the last, you know, nine years of, of since Watershed's been open. She can probably tell you better the how many hours a week I was working, but it, it has ebbed and flowed along as mm-hmm. we've gone. And at the beginning, it was just crazy. And then when we started hiring people, there'd be little blips where I'd have like a little bit better work-life balance. Where you could but, at least take a night off yeah, and have yeah, a date night yeah. or something. And then we got to the point in 2016 where beginning of 2016, like life came into balance weirdly. Like all of a sudden, it was like, I'm working 55 hours a week. And it feels like I'm home all the time. Right, and that's much more sustainable. Everything feels 
like balanced and happy. And that's when we decided to start the restaurant. <laughs> uh, and luckily, we I think at that point, because I know we were both a little scared, um, but I think at that point we had under we understood a little bit more how to manage the, the business itself and not get caught up in the weeds. And so uh, I know, and I know my wife and I talked about it, like me trying to convince her, like, no, it's not going to take as much time as you think. <laughs> and luckily, you know, it... It definitely took some, probably a little more than I thought, a little less than she thought, and we ended up uh, somewhere in the middle. But but it's worked out so that I feel like I'm back to that 50, 55 hours a week, which feels pretty good. Yeah, that's a, uh, like I said, that's a sustainable job. Yeah, yeah, it's a sustainable. It's not, not the sprint that uh, can wear you out. Another way that I hope people find to save themselves time and to right. get to that balance over time is outsourcing. Right. Um, or at least letting go mentally of control of something. So what was a big thing that you sort of let go of or outsourced or both? Uh, yeah, I remember this crystal clear as well. Um, first seven years of business, I did all the books and um, would enter everything into QuickBooks, uh, close the books at the end of the month, and pretty much had a really tight uh, grip on that. And I was afraid if anybody else did it, they were going to mess it up. Uh, then it would be more work for me to go back and correct mm-hmm. it all. And uh, I thought it was such a complicated thing. There's no way anyone could do it. And then we started, I, you know, uh, two things happen. The books get more and more complicated. My time gets less and less. And so eventually I was having a conversation, I think, with our CPA. And our CPA said, why are you doing that stuff? Like, there's so companies. you already had a CPA and you were still doing all the books yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a CPA that did our taxes. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, they, they I, mean, I would like, turn everything in at the end of the month or at the end of the year and they would do our taxes. They were like, you know, there's companies that do this. And so I talked to a few of them and found one that I seemed, that seemed to know their stuff really, really well. And as soon as I handed it off, it was like, the books got bad. Like, they're, of course, they're, they're professionals. They're doing it way better than I am, way faster. Right, and you weren't I don't have to mess with it. I look at it at the end of the month, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. And I might have a couple of things I got a question on. They fix it like that or explain to me why they did it that way. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes more sense than what I was doing. <laughs> um, and so it was, uh, I, I think if you have this philosophy of when I step away from something, I'm going to go get someone who's better than me at it Mm -hmm. and when you hit that right it feels so good to step away from it when you hit it wrong it feels awful and you know really really quickly sure but if you hit it right you know it really quickly and it feels great and you can actually it opens up so it opens your your time and your energy up so you can do so much more yeah and i think that's the thing that the trying to find this magical person can seem daunting so with sales the right. magic person came to you. Right, which is right, nice. right. Right. Um, in this case, did you use your CPA's recommendation? Yep. Yep. CPA's recommendation. So someone and you already trusted and sort of build on that trust. Right. Right. And having a conversation, you know, you still got to have a conversation with the people and make sure you mesh and make sure it feels right. But, um, but yeah, if you have trusted advisors, I think it helps tremendously. Yeah, you talked a little bit earlier about your advisory board. So when did you start that? It's not one of the questions, but I'm just curious. Yeah, no, we started that, um, I think it was 2012 or 11. It it wasn't 11. It was 12 or 13. Both my business partner and I grew up playing sports, and we always had coaches. And you look at sports, even at the professional level, they have coaches guiding them. And we were like, why? You know, we're not even professionals at business. We're clearly rookies. (laughs) We need some coaching. And so we went out and got some guys that... um, uh, were very successful at business and, and 
convince them to come in and meet with us, you know, once a quarter and talk about issues we had and help us look for ways to, to do things better. But I mean, when I talk about trusted advisors, I think about our advisory board, some of our owners, um, our CPA, our attorneys, you know, people that we work with that um, have a lot of connections and um, uh, experience to be able to like point us in the right direction. And did, how many of those people did you know before Watershed? Our owners, we knew most, I, I think between the two, of, yeah, we knew all of our owners before Watershed. It was people that were in our network that we... Like um, friends from college or neighbors or... Uh, yeah, friends from college, uh, parents, uh, uncles, aunts, um, family friends, uh, business acquaintances. I, that sounds like a ton of people. I think there's nine people that invested, but that kind of covers the But it's people that you'd sort of known. People that knew us. I mean, really, when you when we started the company, it was Dave and I and a piece of paper. So they're putting money in us. I mean, we, you know, the piece of paper looked great. It had some cool pictures of stills. And it had some, <laughs> you know, some spreadsheets about how much money we were going to make or not make. But it was really about putting money in the two of us and saying, like, I think you guys have something. So even with starting out with just sort of a friends and family investment board, if you will, yeah, um, you guys did a full business plan and showed oh, the yeah, numbers. Oh, yeah, we had a full business plan. We did. We were so thorough with the business plan, the financial side of it. We had actual quotes from, you know, from Rumpke for trash and from Spectrum. Well, it wasn't Spectrum at the time. It was Time Warner. But um, from that to... The exact still that we were going to purchase, the shipping costs and the import duties to get it from Germany over here, who was going to train us on that still. Um, we, we had everything laid out. We were more worried. We were, yeah, I think there was more, we were way more anxious than the investors were about every dollar <laughs> and every cent. Because they knew you were the kind of people that would write a business plan like that right, and not right. waste and their I, money. Right, and I think that's part of the reason that they put money in because they were like, whoa, this is, these guys are pretty serious about it. So how long did that plan take to... It was way too fast. Uh, that's what made it really scary. Um, we started uh, really focusing on it in uh, December of 2000. Well, late November 2009, we went and we took a course up in Chicago Um at a distillery, and, and we learned we're practicing on his still. And, so you took the class in distilling. Yeah, in distilling. Okay. And um, oh, you're talking about restaurant business plan or distillery business plan? The original distillery. Oh business yeah. Plan. So this was 2009. In 2000, in December of 2009, we had the business plan written, and we were like, well, we should just like get in front of a couple of um, a couple of friends, family that know business pretty well, just to like shoot holes in this before we talk to like real investors and go pitch it to who I, we didn't even know who that would be, but we thought like I give air quotes the real investors. Sure, the VCs, <laughs> right, in right. some far off city, uh, right, with taller buildings. And so I remember <laughs> sitting down with the first investor, uh, or the first um, the guy that we you know friend of ours, and talking him through everything, and he had a couple questions at the end, and he's like. He's like, I, if you guys can answer those, I'd I'd be interested in writing a check and and buying. So you in. didn't even ask; he just offered. And we were like, "That's great!" Uh, and so then, you know, it picked, we got a lot of momentum really quickly. And I think um, by March of 2010, we had all the money in the bank, and that's when it got really scary. 
because we were looking at each other. I mean, up to that point, it was like in our vacation, in our time off, we would like we had written a bunch of business plans over the years, and it was kind of like you'd write a business plan, you'd push it a little ways, you'd shoot some holes in it. Nah, that's not the one. And then all of a sudden, it was like business plan done, money in the bank. It's not fun hobby anymore. It's uh, we're going to leave our jobs and start this. This is really and, real. Yeah. Like our jobs are going to be gone. No paycheck. Does this make sense? And so we kind of had that moment of looking each other in the eye going, are you really going to do it? Are you really going to do it? And um, uh, we went for it. And I don't know if this is uh, smart or not, but I left my job first. Uh, so Dave was kind of waiting on the outside going, yeah, make sure the water's not too cold before I jump in. <laughs> Uh, no, but we were pretty committed and um, and jumped in and, you know, looking back, it was the right move. It turned out great. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but it's funny, like, people ask us, like, would you do it all over again? And I, and I tell them, if I knew I was going to end up where I am, of course I would do it all over again. Sure. But if you don't have that guarantee, if you don't know, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of places along the way where things could have gone different. Maybe it didn't work out the same. Maybe, you you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we barely made it happen. Right. And so when you look back now, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. But somehow we're still here and we're still uh, making booze. I think that's really interesting, though, that, like, you'd done this business planning for other businesses before. Yeah. So it definitely felt different, it sounds like, this business plan, the reaction you got from people. Yeah, the, the closest thing I can equate it to is... If you're going to buy a house, you go start looking at houses, and you never buy the first one. The more houses you look at, the more you know exactly what you want. And when you walk in and you see the right one, you're like, boom, this is it. And with business plans, we wrote a bunch of business plans, and we would shoot holes in them and figure out, like, yeah, this just, I can't see myself doing this every day. I wouldn't get excited about it, or it takes way too much capital to sustain this or there's no barrier to entry. If we're successful, everyone's going to jump. There's all these things that you start to see. And when we started this one, you know, it took quite a bit of capital to raise to get it going, but there's definitely barriers to entry. There were definitely some advantages we have with the sales and in our um, designer with the marketing side. Um, Just the, speed to market being kind of right at the front end of the industry before it really got big. And there were a lot of things in the local movement picking up. Like we just felt like, oh man, and, and it was scale, it had some scalability and it was definitely exciting. It's not like we're um, doing something that we're going to, you know, we're making booze. Everybody is like, you have the best <laughs> job in the world. You're tasting bourbon. And don't get me wrong. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely a job uh, some days, but um, when you stop and think about it, you're like, yeah, it is pretty fun what we do. So, sure. Anyway, <laughs> there were a lot of things going for it. And we kind of, as soon as we started going down that path, we're like, I think this is it. Yeah, so. that's awesome. I think that's the same idea of, you know, like you're talking about when you find the right person to help you out, to take something off your plate. Yeah, yeah. It just feels... Yeah, the more you look at the more you know, oh, this person's going to be the one. Yeah, totally true. Or at the very least, you know very quickly yeah. to change your mind. That has happened to us before <laughs> as well. <laughs> so um, sort of a bonus question. What scares you coming up next? Who? What's um, the biggest challenge that's y- on your mind a lot? Yeah, so I look at it in 
I, I always think like, what if people stop buying our products? What if people stop coming into our restaurant? What and if people stop drinking? What if, yeah, what if people stop drinking? <laughs> I think people will continue drinking. Uh, but no, I, I, what if they stop drinking spirits, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, beer is, uh, the beer market is declining. And I think craft beer is still growing, not as quickly as it was at one point. But, um, but you know, what if the spirits market declines and there's a ton of craft distilleries out there and, and so our business starts shrinking, um, what does that mean? Uh, or what does it mean if people decide that... Um, they they don't want uh, to come into our restaurant or, you know, I, I think every day I kind of wake up and I, I think like, how do I make sure that we're still relevant and we're still doing things that meet consumers' needs and, and make it fun to consume our products, make it fun to come to the restaurant and really in a engaging, entertaining way, stay front of mind with the consumer. And I think if you have a consumer brand, you probably, in a successful consumer brand, you probably have to think that all the time. Like, that probably never goes away. Probably not. Um, like, what am I doing to stay in the conversation? What am I doing to engage with and have fun with the customers so that they continue to support us and, and make us a part of their life? That's awesome. Well, I had a great time talking today. Thank you so much for joining Oh, thanks this. for having me in. It was really great. I enjoyed it. So anything else you want to say before we wrap up? I don't think so. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you again. And uh, everybody should go try Watershed Distillery. It's a beautiful space with some excellent drinks. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Visit greatertogetherpodcast.com for more episodes, to submit a question for next season, to recommend a guest, and to leave feedback. Greater Together is brought to you by Greater Columbus Consulting helping focus your vision, organize your operations, and grow your organization. Greater Columbus Consulting specializes in social enterprises, nonprofits that want to capitalize on their strengths, and for-profit businesses that are working towards a higher purpose.